I never defended myself and I never stood up for myself. And he said, and I absolutely resented the way you were that you stood off. And no matter who you were, you were like that duck in the pond and the water was drifting off of you. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Cindy Benezra. Cindy is an author, inspirational speaker, entrepreneur, and sexual abuse advocate. She's the author of the newly released memoir, Under the Orange Blossoms. Cindy is the founder of Cindy Talks, a platform where she discusses healing tools and stories of hope for other trauma survivors. She engages with her readers through honesty, humility, and a genuine care for those who have walked a similar path. My guest today is talking about an incredibly sensitive topic. It's something she moved through and is bringing light to uh, so that others can get the support and healing they need. We're talking about healing from sexual abuse, and when it's not addressed or healed, it leads to a lifetime of hardship and pain because the world is seen through a particular lens. When you heal, it's like that lens has been cleaned and you see things differently. That's what happened to my next guest, Cindy, and we're going to be talking about it and, of course, how to heal. Here we go. Okay, everybody, we have Cindy Benezra with us today. And, you know, this is one of those topics that if you can resonate with this, you're going to get so much out of it. We're talking about healing sexual abuse and sexual trauma. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. And, you know, with something like this, it's one of those things that only I imagine if someone has experienced it, do they truly, truly understand. But I, I really wanted to bring you onto the show because this is something, even if someone hasn't directly experienced it, maybe a loved one, maybe a family member, maybe a friend has. So mm-hmm. I, I really want to dive into it. So can if you can share with us just parts of the story that you feel comfortable with. Sure. Uh, so I, I wrote a memoir and um the reason I'm referring to this is just sort of like the timeline that I'm giving. And this is the timeline that I'm talking about. So I was abused from five to 10 and I, um, the abuse was on uh, physical, mental, and sexual abuse. My dad's a pedophile and um, I experienced this. And later on, I had a complete blackout at, 10 years old, and it's just the way of the mind's protecting itself. And I had no idea what happened to me in my childhood. As far as I knew, I thought my life was, I lived in Arizona. I thought it was all about swimming and Barbie dolls. I had no idea. I thought I was just typical girl. I knew my dad was strange. I thought he was weird, but I had no recollection of what actually happened to me or the children in our neighborhood. And as I was able to kind of gain back my childhood because I just forgot what was happened um, until I had my first sexual experience when I was about 16, 15, 16. It was right there. I started to have all these dreams and um, they were actually nightmares with dreams, but they were in the form of nightmares and they were coming back in slices and pieces. So I would, the best way I would describe it was like a, looking through a shattered glass And it was milky. And through this, I was able, through these nightmares, I would just 
They were the, the worst nightmare, nightmares that you could have. It was like night terrors. And I would try, I would write down what those dreams were. And through the writing in my journal, I was able to unfold what had happened to me. And I thought I was going absolutely crazy. Um, so much to the point where I was so disturbed by the information that I was recalling and writing down. I, I attempted, I, I would sit outside my bedroom window after school. And at the time I lived overseas. And at that time, um, we lived in an apartment complex. I would sit outside and contemplate every day, jumping from my window and why I should not and why I should live and how like what a horrible person I was for even thinking that these things were real. And when I confronted my father about this, um, he turned it around and he said it was probably something I uh, read in a book, uh, saw in a movie. Um, then he questioned my mental health. And when I questioned my mother, my mother was like, why are you doing this? Why are you rocking the boat? We're such a good family. And so it was a very hard thing to come through living at, I lived in Spain at that time. I didn't have resources. This was back in the seventies oh, and I didn't have the resources. I didn't know where to go to find help. I couldn't read Spanish there. The public library was like half an hour away. We didn't have the internet. And so how was I as a teenager ready to take my life with this truth that I believed was true and how was I going to go on? And what was it? I, I had to find tools, things to just save myself. And what was it going to take me to just go on so I could make it through the next day? And that's kind of what the gist of my book is, how that transformation happened. And I wrote down the tools and things that I had because I didn't have a therapist. Later on, I got massive, massive therapy. I've tried everything that you could possibly imagine, but that's where I think like, okay, you know, if you can't find the resources to go to a therapist or you don't want to, or you can't do it. So I just took all those tools, those things that as a 16 year old, and then kind of grew on them. And now I'm in, I'm almost 60. So I still, it's still a huge thing um, about this. Uh, I do have PTSD and I kind of go through a little bit of, um, I have True. My one. There's a lot of things that are stuck, but I oh, have true issues with betrayal. Yeah, true and, issues with betrayal. And and before we get to the, the the tools and the strategies and everything that that helped you heal, I just I just want to go back because speaking of betrayal, as as horrific as it is, you know, and w then when your father like denied it, and then mm -hmm. when your mother kind of went along with it. What did you make of that? Like, wh what did you, what did you do with that? Did you just personalize it? Like, well, it must be me. I must be crazy. Like what, yeah. what went on in, in your, in your young mind? I think being a, a 16 year old, um, uh, and first of all, my dad was, I do remember the violent parts of my father. So that I hadn't forgotten. So I was already afraid of him. Um, he was very physical. He was very domineering. Um, my dad was a very intelligent man. So he was very manipulative, very narcissistic. Um, he had a great way of twisting things. So I did feel like I was going crazy. And the fact that my mother kind of said, why are you, you know, rocking the boat? It was, 
an all friends, just a betrayal. And I, I took it upon myself. Like I'm just freaking crazy. That that's what it is. You know, that's, you know, I'm a crazy teenager. And I guess on some level, if you just take the blame, like, well, it must be me. I'm just crazy. Then nothing has to change. Exactly. Exactly. Everything can Mm -hmm. stay the same and nothing is, you know, uninterrupted and that sort of thing. Did you have siblings? I did. I did. (laughs) And, um, she is actually one of my best friends and she also became a therapist. And I have to say, even that in alone, I know this happens all the time when you have family trauma, that was a betrayal. And it was the craziest thing. Even just last night, her and I just sat down and we had a pizza and we, we just kind of, I don't know, we were just kind of maxed out and we were talking about old family baggage and we were still pulling things up about stuff that happened on the playground. And I mean, like the playground of life, like, like, why did you do that? Why'd you say that? And she was still unfolding. Like, I didn't know that. And I didn't know that. And it's crazy. We're a bunch of old ladies. We're like, we're great. We're dying our hair and we're still doing this process. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Did your sister go through it as well? So I didn't know it. Um, Yes, she did. And I didn't know that she had gone through it until I wrote my book and she felt I was betraying her, which was an interesting thing. She felt I was betraying our family secret that my mother said, under no circumstances, what happens in this house stays here and we're a good family and, you know, you know, everything's picture perfect and we're a good family. We're an educated family. We're this kind of family and all these great titles of what her perception of our family was. But my point was like, yeah, that's the point. We are a good family. And so we should be talking about this. Like how ironic my sister's a therapist and, you know, no, you like, it's eventually you, if you want to break free, you have to stop and find a way to break that cycle. And I think when breaking the cycles, it, it's like, um, it's like a bomb goes off Mm -hmm. and it's not just about yourself. It's about your siblings. It's about your families. It's about your aunt, uncles. It's about Mm -hmm. your children. And it's like a nuclear bomb that goes off. And it's a, it's a crazy process to go through and it takes many, many years. And I think through trauma or anything, I think it's something that you unfold and it it takes a break and then it unfolds and it takes a break and it just grows to be um, better. But if you want to go deeper, it just depends on your personality. And I had, I'm just, that's who I am. I was just that person who kept on digging, kept on digging. Right. So, okay. So now here you are, you're 16 and things are coming up for you in your, in these horrific nightmares that you're having. And then at that point, so you're, I imagine it's a lot of conflict with your parents because they don't want all this to come up. You you know, this is, it's time and the, the body and mind will do what the body and mind wants to do. And when it's, when it's time and when it's ready. So then what had you keep going with it and say, you know what, it's not, I'm not making this up. This is real. And I need to, to heal from this. Was there a defining moment? Did something happen or it was just, it was just time. Uh, when I was 16 and I confronted my father and he said, this is a movie. And and when he questioned my mental health Mm -hmm. and I looked in his big blue eyes and I saw the truth of it and I thought, oh, you, I'm speaking as the way as a teenager, like you're a big fat liar. I, I know I'm not crazy. And I think at that point it was just sort of like, 
oh, and as I was looking through my journals, it was just like, no, 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 no. You, this is something you created. I'm not going to own this. And I think I got really pissy mad. And that was something like, this is your, you created this. This is your garbage. And now I'm living through this is part, this has become my garbage. And I think that was sort of a journey. Like, how do I get rid of, how do I disown? How do I not make this about some, this horrible thing that he brought on? How do I make it not about me? How do I make it not my journey? And I think it was an, ex, a, a, a shift mm-hmm. um, to, to a, to a a certain degree where like, how do I not become who he is? So it's almost in a sense, like he challenged me Mm. that how do I not make it about like, how do I become something different? And I would, I, every every time I would see him behave a certain way, react a certain way. And I wanted to dig into it because again, it depends on personalities um, or step into it. I would just think like, how do I do the opposite or how do I become better than this? And I think it was about challenging. And I didn't always succeed in that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I'm human and we get mad. So, um, but that was kind of like my goal. That was a strategy. Now you mentioned kids in the neighborhood. Talk to me about that. Ugh. Um, yeah, you know, I, and I didn't know what was going on, but it was a terrible experience as I already had children at that time and went through a divorce. And, um, then as they were having children and struggling with their sexuality and they were struggling how to raise their children, they would look and reflect back at what happened to them at that age, which is pretty common. I've heard. I, I want to make, sure make sense. I want to make sure I understand. You're saying okay. the neighborhood kids or yes. the, in your own children. Okay. So you, so the, the neighborhood kids, you stayed yeah. in touch with the neighborhood kids. They started growing, getting married, having kids. Mm-hmm. And that's when they learned about the abuse as well. No, that's when they confronted me so that they came. I, so, okay. I'm going to give an example, which is completely out of context, but it, it does apply back to this. So, For example, when we're raising our own children or we're going through a life experience and we kind of go, oh, like how cute um, this this little seven-year-old boy. And I remember myself at seven seven years old. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes like a process where you look back and go, what was I doing at seven years? Like, oh, aha, I was abused. And then you get to reflect back on your seven-year-old self. So- these friends, I'm in my 30s, they call me up and they're like, hey, you know, I just, I have to share this horrible experience. Your father sexually molested me and I'm struggling in my relationship. I I think I'm going to get a divorce. Um, I don't know how to raise my children through this experience. And when you're hearing it, like after I had gone through it, I, it, it was, it was terrible because I knew what it felt like. And to also learn that he was responsible for ruining other lives and damaging them. And to what extent it was a horrible thing to listen to. Um, I, I just kind of held space for them. Um, I did share that it happened to me too. They were all surprised at that. Um, but it's, it's a very tragic thing to know that 
your own father, and I'm not taking on the blame of that, but it is awful to know that, that your own father has created so much havoc mm-hmm. um, in the world. It's a terrible place. It's it's awful to feel that. And I know I'm not responsible, but it's a terrible thing. Of course, of course. And, and so at that point, when mm-hmm. now you have friends, old, you know, people from the neighborhood, childhood friends, childhood yeah. friends reaching out, did you bring that up to your, to your parents at that point again? And did they have the same response or did you not bring it up? What'd you do? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I believe my mom had already passed by then. I, knowing me, I probably did say something to my father. Um, so one thing I did have is um, after this, I had clear boundaries with my father. Yeah. So every time he came to visit me, I still kept him in my life. It felt like it was harder to cut him out. And um, and it was interesting. I I, I love this part. My sister just cut him out and it felt right to her and good for her. Great. But it didn't feel right for me. I, I felt um, it was too much work to pretend. That's what it felt like for me. It just was too much work to just go on. And I also wanted one, an apology. I was seeking an apology. Two, I was also um, wanted him to admit that this happened. And so I wanted accountability. So I just wouldn't let it go. So I kept on every single time um, he would come over. I would say, Hey dad, hi, good to see you. Okay. So um, you made your choice a long time ago. I'm making my choice as a parent. Um, You're more than welcome to to come in hang out with us. You know, your place is at the dinner table, go to the bathroom, but no going into other rooms. And he would say, I don't know, he survived till his 80s. And he said, why do you say this? Like, why do you do this? You know, or then he would play the crazy card. Like, are you okay? And (laughs) I used to try to find ways not to get triggered. And then I would just say, dad, just give it up. Like, if you want to be here, come on in. It's not just goodbye. And I don't know why I did that. It was just the way I'm wired. And I, it worked for me. Was there ever a a moment where he admitted, where he took responsibility, where he apologized, any of that? Yep, it was. It was way, way later in life. And it was, um, it was not until he was in his eighties and um, he was very, very ill. He, um, I'm in Seattle and he was in California and Monterey and he was in a retirement center and he had already gone to the hospital probably like 11 times in a month and a half. So in a five, well, okay, five, five week period. And I don't know why he made me his, um, his contact person. I don't, whatever. So they called me up and they said, okay, your dad, you know, your dad's done this or your dad's going back to the hospital. And I just thought I have a, a child with special needs and um, he was going through some crazy, crazy hard times um, in high school where um, to me, it looked like he was suffering from a lot of mental health issues. And I was afraid. Uh, I don't know what suicide looks like in, um, I mean, I've read a lot, but I don't know what suicide looks like in an individual who has mental health, uh, who is special needs. And my son had part of his brain removed. So he's not acting like a typical 
uh, developing child. So I was, I was really concerned. I had a lot on my plate and um, a lot of changes with work. So I thought the craziest thing, my husband and I flew up and we went to go see my father and I saw him in this horrible facility where he was It smelled like pee. And I was just like, he was curled up like a dog on the, on the couch and with his jacket on and holding a garbage bag. And I thought with his belongings, because they were stealing each other's things, <laughs> it was just the most insane scenario. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at him and going, oh my God, this old man, this man who's created so much havoc in the world. It was at that point where I thought, okay, I've got to be myself. And so I went to my husband, I said, I'm going to take him home with me. I hope this is okay, but I'm going to put him in some place closer to me because it's about me and I can't have go back and forth to California. I can't have all these calls. So I'm going to try to control the scenario, bring him to Washington. And he was five minutes away from me and I could go when it worked out for me and help him with his medicines, you know, just kind of navigate through this whole thing. Cause I was the only sibling left. So And I did it for me. It wasn't about anything, any, anybody else. And I remember a lot of times like, Hey dad, you're here. No, it's, it's about my convenience, but I wasn't cruel about it because that's not who I am. I was just being myself. Cause I know I've been, I got a lot of slack for that in the family. Like, why would you do that? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to judge anything you do, but what was the, so then what did he say when, when, you know, he said he finally. Um, Thank you. So what he said was, um, he's, oh God, it was over eggs Benedict. He, we happened to have breakfast and, um, we looked out of like Washington has a, like a lot of lakes and, um, we happened to be looking at the water and there were ducks and he said, you know, thank you for, for doing this. Thank you for taking care of me. You know, I, I really can't believe you're doing this because no one's beside me. And, um, you're like, out of all the people, why you? And I just said, dad, I'm, I'm doing this again for myself. I would help a dying dog if, even if it bit me. And when I, I think when he looked at that and he goes, well, um, and so at that moment I said, Hey dad, why did you do the things that you did? I mean, what you created so much havoc in the world. Like what, what, what was your agenda? What were you like, are you ill? Like, what do you think it is? I mean, I obviously knew he was ill, but he compared me to the duck outside in the pond. And he just said, I was raped by soldiers and during the war in Germany. And, um, I never defended myself and I never stood up for myself. And he said, and I absolutely resented the way you were that you stood off. And no matter who you were, you were like that duck in the pond and the water was drifting off of you, or you would laugh it off. And I go, but that's so messed up. I mean, just to hear that, I said, it's just messed up to listen to this. I said, you really, really, truly, truly ill. Why would you break your own child? And he had, he didn't have an answer. And I think at that point I thought, okay, people need to hear this. Like, if, if that's his form, like people need to learn by this. So I started doing audio tapes and recording him and the, like kind of like the mindset of a pedophile. And I thought if they could use it for mental health, if not, I could understand truly how ill he is. But that's where that was kind of like my journey on this. Yeah. So it's definitely his unhealed trauma 
uh, and you're the one impacted by it. So tell us what you did to heal. Like the concrete, this is what I did. I did this, this, this. I know my listeners and viewers want to know. Okay. Well, I have to say it's, it's, um, there is no bullet or magic thing or magic wand. It's, it's, um, it's a choice that you have to make. It's a willingness to do the work and it's like an ebb and flow. And I think it's a journey that you take on and there's, you could go to therapy for a year and you have to recognize it's just one year. So you should take, take some breaks in this process because it is truly, if you've been betrayed or you have significant trauma to go through, you have to be kind to yourself. And I think that is something that I recognize that is, it was a way to finding self-love through this. Cause I was consumed with hate, with revenge. Right. And I, I got lost in this loop and uh, truth seeking. And I think I lost my my love for myself. And I think that's when I think about it, a lot of it, it's finding love for myself and in that, in a grace period. So um, things that I did, I know it, they're nothing fancy guys. They're just, the things that I did was nothing fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, a lot of times it was journaling and that's how I felt my dreams. Um, just the consistent person. And, you know, it was myself and listening to my thoughts um, and just having it someplace, it was like a toxic place that I could write it all on a piece of paper and just get rid of those thoughts. Um, meditation was also a really big form of just finding, listening to myself. Cause I think there's so much chatter that goes on in our head that actually <laughs> sometimes it, it is positive good chatter. And a lot of it is just negative talk. And so I think sometimes just quieting your mind down just to really listen and get back in touch with your body. Um, it, it doesn't sound like that's really powerful, but it is really, really powerful. It definitely is. No, that's, that's definitely powerful for sure, because you're taking on your own mind and your own thoughts and your own beliefs and changing the dynamic of it, where instead of it just being all about the anger and the pain and what was into, you know, more of turning it into more of a self-love and now it's about me and my healing. Cindy, what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? Um. That you will get through, like whatever your betrayal issues are. I think also to recognize that if you if you do have a significant form of betrayal, sometimes they could they may happen in another time and time frame in your life, and to be cognizant of that. But that you will you will make it through. And a lot of times we're just repeating old cycles, just written up in different formats. Uh, you will make it and you will recognize this and you will get through. Don't give up. There is hope. There is hope for you. And, but it's, it's a, it's a journey. And you know what I love about what you said? It's really, um, breaking the chain of abuse. You know, what your father did was he was abused and then he continued the abuse and you were abused and said, it stops here. And, you know, you're doing something so great for you and everybody else because of it. Where do we learn more about you and the great work you do? Um, You can find me on www.cindytalks.com. And I have a blog. I'd love to hear from you. Um, in fact, this episode will be on there too. And I'll write a little bit about that. So um, please follow me. It's, it's, I'm really trying to be the squeaky voice and, um, in, this, in this process of sexual abuse. 
Terrific. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for your time, for your insight, for your wisdom. There are so many, so many people, so many more than I think what we know who uh, who are just navigating uh, this type of abuse and, and are ready to heal. And it may just be your words that inspire them to do that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I really admire Cindy's strength and her willingness to talk about an uncomfortable topic with the intention of helping others through her story. Stay in touch with Cindy by going to cindytalks.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Cindy's dad had unhealed trauma and because he never dealt with it, he took it out on her and others. Unless and until you deal with your stuff, whatever it is, it will follow you around and show up in every area of life. Heal it, and not only do you break the chain of abuse, you become someone who is strong, healthy, and proud because of what you've been able to overcome. Now, this isn't something to do alone. Be sure you have support, and of course, our coaches and practitioners can help. We have coaches who can help you release stored trauma, the aftermath of abuse, help you change your beliefs so you start thinking and acting differently, and so much more. It's all waiting for you. Just go to the PBT as in post-betrayal transformation, the pbtinstitute.com and let us help you feel better ASAP. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough. <music>